A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Before we start this episode, a quick trigger warning. This episode of A Tiny Revolution contains conversations that talk explicitly about sexual assault and rape, especially within church and Christian contexts. So listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia, welcome to episode 70, and this is the second time I've had to record this because technical difficulties are a bitch. Um, I love you, how you doing, how you been, how's your week been? I started seminary today, so I'm only a little bit tired and a little bit mentally fried from discussing um, natural evil versus moral evil. I didn't know that there was a difference, to be honest, so... You know, we're really diving in deep into this whole um, scholar, scholarly business. I'm thrilled. I really, really am. Um, so keep me in your prayers as I begin this new journey in seminary. Um, uh, a little bit of announcements real quick. I'm going to be in Orlando next month for the Reformation Project's National Conference. So if you want to come to Orlando with me in the middle of October and a bunch of other amazing people like Matthias Roberts, Britt Barron is going to be there as a speaker. Um, Justin Lee the uh, is going to be there if you know him from his work. Um, literally all the humans, everyone you've ever wanted to hang out with is going to be in Orlando. So why not come hang out with us? So go ahead and go over to reformationproject.org slash Orlando, get your tickets. I'm going to be leading worship, running around doing other stuff for TRP, as well as being on a panel with a bunch of other intersectional identity folks. It's going to be such a good time. Again, that's reformationproject.org slash Orlando. Go ahead and go check that out. It's going to be incredible. So today on the podcast, um, if you didn't hear it at the very top of the podcast, there is a trigger warning associated with this podcast because in this conversation, we're going to be talking about um, pretty explicitly about sexual assault and rape, um, especially within church context. So if you are somebody who is sensitive to topics like that or um, need to stop it in the middle of it and come back to it, please take care of yourself doing it. But I do think stories like this are important. So who is coming on the podcast today? It's my friend, the Reverend Chrissy Reeves Pendergrass. Um, Chrissy grew up in eastern New Mexico and west Texas and is the daughter of a minister and a school teacher. She went to college at the University of Texas, El Paso, and studied clinical health psychology and English and American literature. And she graduated there from 2011. And throughout her college years, Chrissy worked at various churches and served as everything from an intern youth director to a children's director. She's currently an ordained elder in the UMC, that's United Methodist Church, serving in the South Carolina Annual Conference, and she's the pastor of Gilbert United Methodist Church. In 2012, she married the Reverend Weston Pendergrass, who's also a UMC pastor in South Carolina, aka they are double pastor life, which we get into a little bit in here. In addition to that, Chrissy is a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault and suffers from uh, some symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And she was going through that mostly during her seminary career. And now she's a fierce advocate for women and women's issues in the church, understanding that mental health and uh, better mental health care are available for everybody. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. If you are ready for it, honey, let's go. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. Grab yourself, you know, um, something delightful to you. 
And with that, let's go ahead and just dive into the conversation. This is my talk with my friend Chrissy Reeves Pendergrass. Okay, I am Chrissy Reeves Pendergrass. I am a United Methodist clergy, and I'm married to United Methodist clergy. Double pastor action. Yes, clergy couple um, headache life. So I'm both a bad pastor and a bad pastor's wife. Dope. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it's nice to fail at multiple things at one time with other people's <laughs> perceptions. Um, I have a beautiful adopted son um, who is biracial, mm-hmm. uh, who is 19 months old and into everything. Wow. I um, was, this is probably not something I'd tell at a cocktail party, but like you asked what my deal is and how I got into this world. Um I um, was married at 19 and divorced at 22. Wow. Married at 19. Shit. I know. And it did not end well. (laughs) I mean, as, as I would imagine most marriages at 19. Well, yeah, but this, I think was, uh, was outside the norm. So it was a really abusive, um, emotionally, physically, uh, well, physical, Mm -hmm. not, not as much. That was towards the end. Um, but then sexual assault was a major key component of that relationship. Wow. But I had no vocabulary for that because I grew up being told by the like purity gospel, right? That sex was good inside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> I had no way to identify what was happening and what that meant. Um for about three years. So mm. um so because of like after like the Me Too and the Church Too movement, I just felt like God was telling me to stop separating myself from my story. Mm-hmm. So um I started to decided to write my memoir and I wrote that over Lent, which was crazy and fast. And Oh, um, so you did it over like literally just in 40 days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that is one way to do it. In 40 days is crazy. Just so you know. Oh, Oh, I know. Cause like when I was a missionary kid and they were teaching me how to, how to be a writer for Jesus. Like I wrote <laughs> my, I wrote my first memoir in six weeks and it was 60,000 words. It's I a piece of that's... shit. Yeah. My, my first memoir is a piece of shit. I'm sure yours is brilliant and lovely. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but then I was told, I have a lot of, you know, like, I got in contact with Sarah Heath, and she is amazing and lovely. Aw, my BB. She's one of those people that I, I hate to talk to her, and here's why. Because I find myself admitting the horrible, dark things that I don't tell anybody else. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, she, like, opens up this vulnerable space, and I find myself, like, spewing all of my deep, dark insecurities. That's very, I, I mean, I do the same thing, but just like, uh, I'm wondering who my person is. My person is just like somebody who's not on the internet and not like, uh, because it's one of these things where just like all of my friends who like work in the same world, like, because like we have so, we have so much dirt on each other. We could probably like end each other's careers. <laughs> so it's like mutually assured destruction, <laughs> which is a weird well, thing to laugh about, I think. World, so Yeah. But yeah, um, so you're talking to Sarah Heath and uh, what? Yeah, and so she basically like gave, like um, told me like to get my ass in gear and start platform building and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and connected me to Abingdon. Although I, they they said that they tend to shy away from tougher topics, so they probably won't publish me, which is okay. Um, Publishing is so hard. Like I am like two years into trying to find somebody to look at my work and I'm just now getting to a point where like there might be a viable option. I'm really considering like maybe like even like not the traditional publishing route. I don't know. 
Yeah, self publishing is totally an option, and like if you like if you do it well, you can really like make some, a make some good money and continue like continue to have control over it. Um, but that's probably another question for another time. I want to know about the actual memoir itself, though. So like, talk to me. Who is she? What is she talking about? Um, you're obvi- I, I assume you're talking about your story. Yeah. So it's me. Um, it is called. Oh, per- Currently, I called it Shattered Fairy Tales, mm-hmm. um, a journey from a purity ring to a psych ward to a pulpit. That's a title right there. Thank you. <laughs> a journey from a purity ring to a psych ward to the pulpit. Yeah, so it, it starts with um, like my first date with my ex-husband, which ended in a car wreck. Fuck. Really fitting for like the you entire know, next three years not, of my life. You know, um, not totally not a sign. Or no, I really that. probably should have like you know um, read into that a little bit more. Maybe. Um, I did not, but you know, hindsight is is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And um, and it talks about like here here's this person that's super toxic, but seems really charming and wonderful, and can be anything to anybody. You know, like just like total chameleon. Um, right. He looked on like an Abercrombie and Fitch model, which you know, Ooh. I know. But like, you know, horrible things can come in beautiful packages. <laughs> Yo, that's a uh, that's the that's the damn truth right there. Um. So so um, it goes from there, and it follows me through the um, through the first or couple years or through my marriage. Um through his abuse and fidelity his infidelity like mm-hmm. there's like a scene where i come home and um he and there are cop cars on my lawn because oh, he's in the military and funny enough infidelity is a crime in the military so um he was not just coveting my neighbor's wife he was sleeping with her <laughs> And um, police were called, and I had to come home to find cop cars in my house. And here I'm, like, this, like, sweet little PK, right, who comes home and finds police cars on my lawn. Um, and wow. so, like, like, it has stuff like that, but it talks about um, times where he would, like, clean his gun when I got him upset. So oh, that's like- weird. Well, I mean, obviously that's a threat, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like high key, like danger zone to say the, the least. The weird thing, though, is like you don't like it builds to that point where you don't. Did I don't you know. did you kind of become desensitized to a lot of the things yes, that you, you were like? Absolutely, because it's. I mean, you know, like when when you're kind of getting used to being called stupid or whatever. Um, you stop noticing things that you should probably notice. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, like if you put a, one of my therapists described it as if you put a lobster in a boiling pot of water and just slow or in water and slowly brought it to a boil, the lobster wouldn't know they're dying. If you oh shit. That's a, that's a metaphor. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, how is that? What's happening to me right now? <laughs> I mean, I was already out by that point, but, um, but like there was really no vocabulary that I had to even deal with mm-hmm. suffering because I, I just didn't, it's not something, and I, I didn't come from like a super evangelical upbringing, you know, like I came from mainline Methodism, mm. um, which I wouldn't call majorly evangelical. 
Yeah, but still, it just didn't give you any language to talk about. Right, and I think everyone shied away from those, like, once again, those tougher topics. But mm-hmm. then, um, so like popular theology at that point was was really um, kind of like therapeutic Jesus. Mm, so Jesus is going to make you feel good. Jesus is here yeah. to, like, save you from your problems. Jesus is, if you just believe the right things, Jesus will fix it. True love waits. And if you're just captivating and kiss dating goodbye, everything will be beautiful and oh wonderful. Oh, my God. Captivating. I forgot about that one. Oh, my God. That book totally screwed me up. Like, mm. not even kidding. <laughs> so, like, so, like, what were the – so, like, I was a I kiss dating goodbye person. Um, didn't have a purity ring because my mother thought that it was stupid. Um, so like good on her. Like she just didn't buy into those things. She's like, I'm not going to pay money. Just like, just don't have sex. I'm like, cool. Um, so, so here's also- what's so sad about me. It's like, I didn't even like my, my, like I wasn't around people that did purity rings, but like I wanted so badly to be this amazing, like I loved Jesus so much. And I thought that was the only way that I went myself, like walked myself to the book Bible bookstore and bought my own purity ring and signed the pledge all by myself. Like it wasn't like a, you signed, a, I did as a wait, you signed the pledge like in a bookstore? Yes. Wow. You were a super Christian. I was. I had so many WWJD bracelets. <laughs> oh my God. So um, you mentioned at the very top that like, as you, you know, you know, post-divorce and then like with the Me Too movement happening, it kind of started giving you language around these things. Like when was like the moment when you realized, oh, my last marriage was not normal. So I probably realized that, so, um, I got divorced in 2011. So I probably realized that about a year later. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe about 18 months later, I was able to call it rape. Um, I, I think I just kind of kept it to my, like, I just wanted to separate my, my story from my ministry until the Me Too movement. And I just kind of realized mm-hmm. that I can't do that anymore. Right. So um, was it was it one of these things? So this was like a, a and part. If you don't want to answer anything, you don't have to answer anything. You don't want to. But like, I, I know a lot of people don't even believe that rape can even occur within the bounds of marriage because sex is something that partners do with each other. Sex is something that you're yeah, and it's to expected. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. But marital rape is totally a thing. Absolutely. Uh, because we don't talk about consent enough. Right. I would say that I never even knew what the word was until college and I had already been, you know, violated. Hmm. So what's your question, Kevin? Oh, I guess, I guess the question is just like, um, <laughs> sorry. I just, the, the thing with me is just like, I just spitball things. And then no, I just, it's cool. I just want to answer it correctly. <laughs> um, I guess just like around the time you started realizing that's what it was like, how, how did you come to realize this? Were you in therapy or was it just kind of just like you unpacking your own experiences? Yeah. So, so I was in therapy um, and I was at Duke Divinity at the time in seminary Hmm. and I'm, I'm engaged to someone else um, who's now my husband, who's amazing and wonderful and um, just the kindest feminist you'll ever meet. Um. (sighs) He's amazing. Everyone I'm looking for one. If you have another one around, let me know. <laughs> I would share, except that, well, no, I won't share. Let me backtrack. If I find someone, I'll, I'll pass them along. Thank you um, so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't share. I like mine. Um, so he, I think he and I kind of, so first it started with, um, randomly, my senior year of college, I read a book in um, young adult fiction. So one mm-hmm. of my majors was... Um, literature 
mm-hmm. it was called Speak. I don't know if you if you've ever heard about it. It was really kind of popular. There was like a Showtime movie about it. Mm-hmm. And it's got this young girl. She's like a freshman and she is raped at a party right before she starts high school. Mm-hmm. And in her panic, she dials 911 and the party is raided and her friends ostracize her. Wow, and she's okay. so upset that she doesn't tell anybody what actually happened. So she calls the police and the party, right, is stopped. And so they think she just destroyed this party. And she actually doesn't say a word out loud until about three-fourths of the way through the book until her friend starts dating the boy that raped her. Oh, God. And so she decides to break her silence to warn her friend. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing book. So good. Um, real, but so good. So I read that and um, Wes and I were dating and I said, and it kind of hit me weird. He was like, and I remember him saying one time, wait, did he force himself on you? And I said something like, no, I mean, there was this one time that got kind of weird and I don't, you know, like I didn't really know what to say. And I completely backtracked and like shut that in a box mm-hmm. for like another year. It was um, like, only shit, that's true, but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Because if I pretend it's not true, then it will be right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I think your, your mind sometimes with trauma can put it, it can put it away until you're really ready to deal with it. I'm not in all honesty. I don't think I was, I had just been divorced, you know, like mm-hmm. divorce was enough. I was 22, just figuring out the world. I wasn't, I had more trauma than I knew how to cope with at that yeah, time. Yeah, bad. So, um, it was about a year later and I'm in therapy and I'm having like panic attacks, which I found out later is PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm telling my therapist about that one really violent time that I can really remember Mm -hmm. um, that was just way above and beyond. And I remember looking at her and saying, I think I was raped. Like, Mm -hmm. just kind of like this weird, like, it almost felt like time stood still. And she said, I think that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So then the session ended and I immediately run to my car Get in it, drive. I lived on campus. So I drove to Weston's apartment, my fiance, get there, like fall in his arms crying and telling him what he already had figured out, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Um, and then I just remember throwing up in his sink because oh, it was God. like it just happened. Yes. Then, oh my God. Yeah. And then I had to shower like most women do. Like I showered to like, you know, like a little loofah until like your skin turns raw. Um, it was almost like I, it had like literally just occurred, even though it was years prior. I, my God, yes. Um, and so uh, I'll share. Like, I don't think I've ever really talked. I don't. I don't talk about this often. But like, I when I was in high school, I was sexually assaulted myself, and um, it is so common. It is so. Com- you have to stop pretending it's not. And it was a guy who was like super popular in school, but it was one of those things. Like how my trauma response happened is just like my brain blocked it out. Um, Mm -hmm. where like, I, I know for a fact, I know what happened. Like he forced me at knife point to perform oral sex on him. Mm -hmm. And, um, then cause he was dropping me off after a theater rehearsal. And I remember going inside the house, just very like, oh yeah, everything's fine. I'm okay. And like, I got home from theater rehearsal cause I don't want to tell my parents because why would a guy do that to me unless I was gay? So like, it was all these like threats of being outed and, Mm -hmm. um, and then people at school finding out. And so I just kept it locked up. And then it wasn't until I was out of the closet and like um, dating guys and like, you know, wanting to perform oral sex on them, but just like not being able to 
because like I would have all these like super triggering response. Like my body would just like have these responses. And it was like one night it was with my last partner and, you know, we're, you know, being intimate and whatnot. And I had to stop him because I'm starting to have a panic attack. And then I realized, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm having this panic attack because like, this is, this happened to me. And it was exactly like you just said it. Like, I just start crying. I start co- like collapsing in on myself. Like, I don't want to be touched. It's like, it just happened. Yes. yes. And, and it can have a real response, like a real problem with your like current, you know, like yeah. interpersonal relationships. Cause they, cause like, I don't know, like a lot of, if like the person you're with, like, isn't uh, prepared for, and like who could be prepared for something like that? But just like, I remember like, uh, I felt immediately felt bad because I'm pretty sure my partner thought it was about them when it wasn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we then had like, we started like changing how we did sex based on that. Um, And so like, even, even now, like, you know, if I'm dating someone like, and we're starting to get intimate, like I choose to self-disclose on the front end about like how I'm a little weird about oral sex sometimes. And like, it's just, it's annoying. And like, but everything that you just said about like going right back into the moment that feels so real and it's scary. And so um, when you had like the hard thing was, is like, so I, there was this one incident that I could kind of like parse out first, Mm -hmm. but then you kind of start to backtrack and go through and think about every instance Mm -hmm. And just kind of like this realization that sexual assault had become a part of my daily life. Wow. Because how you, how you, I mean, consent is like an enthusiastic yes, right? And if you're afraid for any reason, like if you're threatened, like in yours, I mean, you were threatened at a knife point. My God, of course that's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. total coercion. Um, but like I lived in, I lived in fear of disappointment, mm-hmm. of um, being yelled at, him putting holes in walls, him mm-hmm. grabbing me, um, putting his hands on his, um, on his hips where I could see his gun in his pants. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, cause he was just always packing cause he was, he was in the military. Mm-hmm. But, um, like if you don't, if you can't say no, mm-hmm. that's not consent. Yeah. That's it. And when do you realize that you don't even, you can't even acknowledge that no is even an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why rape inside of like marital rape, nobody really knows how to talk about it really. Yeah. Right. Cause consent is this kind of strange concept anyway. That's hard to de- define. Yeah. I think it's getting easier to define, but still in some ways, like it gets very nebulous in some ways where, you know, cause like, I think it's also consent and then um, talking about it in terms of power, like who has the power, like you said, like, of course, right, like, exactly. Of right. course you were you saying yes, but yeah. Like I think Monica Lewinsky is like a perfect example of that. Like she would have tell you at the time back in the, in the 90s, she would have told you that she had given consent, mm-hmm. but then like she didn't have any power in that scenario either. So like, mm-hmm. and, and so even inside of marriage, if you're, if you're in an abusive relationship and I think it bears um, talking about that, like one third of relationships like that have intermittent partner violence has a component of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So like a third of marriages has domestic violence, but a third of those also have sexual assault assault. Mm. Um, 
to like a sixth of all marriages. And like that's a really like that's, jarring statistic. That's not a small number. No, it's really not. Um, but it comes like it comes down to, and I think I think this is where like um, complementarianism and that idea of the man running the household or whatever can be really freaking dangerous. Like it's not just bad theology; mm-hmm, it's deadly. Absolutely, um, because I mean, I can I can tell you like like ten or twelve times where my life was literally in danger. Mm. Um, ten or twelve, like ten or twelve. Yes. That's- <laughs> isn't that crazy yeah like i'm 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 not i'm not making a scoffing noise it's one of those just like i well and i'm like awkwardly laughing because it, <laughs> it sounds cr- like it's it, like it's so weird sometimes to even think back yeah. even though like I, re- I, re- I wrote it and i lived it and i've done tons of therapy around it it's still really kind of it's still really weird surreal yeah to think like these are things that happened on tv mm-hmm. like this but is that like was my life yeah, this is some Law and Order SVU shit. Absolutely, you know, like it's not okay that I was thrown into walls. It's not okay that I was held down and mm-hmm. slapped or whatever. Like these things are not okay. Yeah. Um. What? Um, and it's not okay. It never was okay. Hmm. And I, I think there's this this whole narrative right now with the Me Too movement. Um. Mm-hmm. Although I, I I love it. I think there's this there's almost this sense that it's all we have to do is get these men out of power or these people. Um, I don't want to just say men cause it's not fair to people like Terry Crews or, you know, like there are other instances. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, that if we just remove these people or fire them or whatever, then that's it. Mm-hmm. We've, won, we've got them. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, just we about, still haven't helped the victim. Mm-hmm. We've yep. stopped re-victimization. And that's important. And don't get me wrong, but there is a step further that we have to begin to acknowledge that these things cause major psychological wounds. Mm-hmm. And inside like church too, they cause spiritual wounds mm-hmm. as well. Right. Like, so I wrote in my book that um, I thought that I had to be pure mm-hmm. and rape was incompatible with that. And therefore I thought I was incompatible to God. Wow. Hmm. That's real heavy. And, uh, but I think it's like, Kevin. We, I mean, we have to pretend. We cannot. We cannot pretend mm-hmm. like this stuff isn't real. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. So as you were, um, like, with like the advent of like the Me Too movement, and then subsequently the Church Two uh, movement, where people have been talking um, and really pushing these things to like the forefront of people's minds and consciousness, like. Um, I think what you said, just like, it's not just about getting men who need to be taken out of power, out of power, but it needs to be about, again, sur- caring for survivors and actually naming them. Like, that's what they are, like survivors, survivors of sexual assault and rape. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like, we have to start uh, having conversations um, within our church context about power dynamics and conversations about... Um, how people relate to one another, whether it's uh, men to women, um, older ministers to parishioners, um, like what, what does healthy boundaries look like that keep all of us safe? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think also just like, it's, it's not just about a, like, you know, like these, these guys, at the very top who are abusing people. 
are not doing it just because they're bad people. It's because there's a system that taught them that they like yes. they can do this, that it's okay, yeah. that they're not going to get caught. And, if they, and maybe not even that they're, that they can, that they should. Mm. Yeah. Like they're, they're owed this, like, you know, you are doing yes. the hard work of the Lord and therefore, you know, they, they, they figure out some way of like twisting scripture and justifying it in their minds that in their minds, they're probably not even doing anything wrong. I think the whole Bill Hybels thing really was like right. a, a, Come a gut check, right? Because he was like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, just highly allowed it. And then, you know, like, I was just, I think it's so strange to me. I was, um, that we can believe in things like bodily resurrection and forgiveness of sin so readily. These incredible audacious mm. faithful statements but then when a, a survivor comes when a victim comes forward our inclination is to not believe shit right like i but that's what we do is we believe in the unseen we believe in the cra- we believe in the crazy you know and that's a good thing um but we also believe that people like david can fall and fall hard and be and be um rapists mm-hmm you know, like, I, I mean, that was lectionary text the last two weeks was David and Bathsheba. Yeah. Right? Um, and so like, in the Hebrew, it's, it's really clear that this is not a consensual relationship. Mm-hmm. How do and you... David goes to extreme measures to hide this, just like the church does. I mean, look at the Catholic church, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the measures they went to, the, the reorganization, the movement around, the constant shifting or... Um, to pro- protect the institution. I mean, David didn't just murder Uriah, right? Like it's a mass murder. It's Uriah's entire unit mm-hmm. is killed to hide this. It's mm. nuts. And I think if you look at like Willow Creek, they wanted to, you know, like they wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they did not. And I, and I applaud that. Um, but but it's just like, it's like, it's things that have, have come up in all sorts of other things. I think about like, what was the name of the guy from New Spring? Uh, I can't think of his name, but I can see him. I can see him too. And that's annoying. He just has an annoying face. <laughs> but just like, you know, like where he like stepped down from power and like cited alcoholism as the yes, thing. And I'm just yes. like, mm-hmm. Was it alcoholism? But then they were kind of like weird about how they talked about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Like why? Yeah. I don't... Why aren't you talking about your 12 step program, bruh? Um, yeah, and I, I mean, like in Mars Hill, right, with Mark Driscoll oh and my stuff God. like that. And he's still, like, out and How? about, do, like, starting his own ministry again. And people are, but people are publishing his books again. It just, it's, it blows my mind. It's... I don't understand. It's, it's I mean, I like, on, like, on the one hand, I do understand, because, like, you know, whiteness and maleness will get you everywhere, so like on that level yes i understand it but from like when i'm being logical about it i'm like that is no 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 well and i think also there's the reality that he can sell books yeah and unfortunately even christian publishing is a market it's an industry it's an industry it's they're trying to make money um you know and like he's someone who will sell Mm. And unfortunately, probably more so because of the scandal, right? Like, yeah. what's he going to say now? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, going back to something that, like, you touched on, just, like, the story of David and the rape of Bathsheba, like, I think it's really interesting that, like, 
until someone else pointed that out to me, um, I didn't know. I was like, oh, you know, she's just a loosey goosey woman, you know, you know, yeah, obviously tempting the man. Like that's how I read the story. Oh God, up. but that's still this like the story though. She was asking for it, right? Except she's not tempting. Like like with she the was, bath, she, she's she, she's like, like on her own balcony taking her like ritual cleansing bath from her period. You know, right? Like this, she's following the law. Yeah, she was out doing her own thing, like on her own private property, not wanting you to. She you was know. being holy, right? Like, mm-hmm. and this holy, un- this very unholy thing transpires against her body Hmm. like as a pastor when you're teaching on something like that and then also like teaching you know about the person of david who was called you know a man after god's own heart like how do you as a pastor like begin to talk about that because i'm starting seminary in the fall and i like i'm already thinking about the really hard text i'm gonna have to cover eventually and i just don't know what to do with that so i think it, it, it part of it it takes time um you have to, you cannot just come into a congregation and hit them with the hard stuff. <laughs> so I can't just, in some ways, so I can't just no, say, y'all, David raped Bathsheba. I just can't throw that out there. <laughs> and welcome. I'm glad to be here on my first Sunday, right? Like, so there is a, there is a, um, a relationship that happens between clergy and congregation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that you establish that sacred trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you how do you do it? I think you do it slowly, at first, um, and you establish that trust, and and you get to know them and know how they'll hear best. Mm. Because the last thing you want to do as a minister is say something in a way, say something very powerful that God has asked you to say, but in the wrong way where they don't hear it. Ah, uh, yeah. Because that's that's on you. Right, like that. If I I can if I speak with the tongues of angels, mm. but do not have love, I'm nothing but a resounding gong. Mm. And so I think you have to develop some of that. So how do you do that? I think some of that happens maybe not um, from the pulpit first. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is it's not when someone will come to your office having been sexually assaulted, or not if it's when. Yeah. So I think you handle it more in those interpersonal at first Mm -hmm. and you begin to address it maybe even in small group settings. Um, like I self-disclosed my story in a small group setting first. Mm -hmm. Um, and slowly as time goes on, then you can really begin to really tackle these in a, in a, these hard texts in a real way. But I think, like I said, I think it comes down to trust Mm -hmm. because if you get up there and you just like bring the hammer down, which you could do and people do, (laughs) Yeah, as an eight on the Enneagram, let me tell you what, I love bringing the hammer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think you don't shy away from it, necessarily. Um, So my husband and I, we actually taught, um, we wrote and taught a Bible, two different Bible studies this last year in small group settings over the Book of Ruth and the Book of Esther, Mm -hmm. which both have like these kind of possible sexual components. Mm Mm-hmm. Like Ruth, um, you know, when she lays at at um, his feet, Boaz, that could be euphemism, right? My mighty Boaz. Yes, <laughs> and um, and we really talked about that. And is that one way to read it? Is it not? And so we just we said, you know, nobody really knows what if that's for sure. Um, but here's what marriage looks like, and as soon as they're covered, right? Like really addressing and kind of looking at these women and at a whole. 
And then talking about when we talked about Esther, mm-hmm. the fact that she's expected to, um, and this really like sick beauty pageant, you know, yeah. um, strip down and then perform in the bedroom. And if she is good enough, deemed good enough in that, then she, can either, then she can become the queen or she becomes oh, a concubine no. and is stuck with them anyway. Right. Um, but then she had to use what she had too. Hey, Chrissy, if in order to do there, the, you can the work of God. On. So, like, what does that look like? Has failed. Retrying. Um, like reclaiming their entire story. Hold on, everybody. Hey, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, sorry. You're back, and you sound delicious. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what I was going for. Delicious. Yeah. Um, you were saying um, she was performing in a sick beauty pageant, having to perform yes. in the bedroom. And then um, she either becomes gets to become queen because of how she performs, or then she becomes a concubine. Um, but then she, this is all that she has to, her sexuality is all that she has to use in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, how does she take power in that? Mm-hmm. Does she? Is she just a victim? Uh, and so we talked about that one night. Um, and you know, like I live in a pretty conservative area, but the, like I thought that 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 naming those things, adding depth to these characters and these stories, the real and the tawdry and the, you know, um, people have asked us to teach it several times mm-hmm. after that. Um, part, because, and I think, I think when you approach scripture in a really robust, real way, so few Bible studies do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And people want more of it mm-hmm. when they get it. They don't realize they're, they're lacking it. They don't realize they're living on scraps. Yeah. They don't realize that, like, you know, like, you could be eating the full meal, but right now all you've got is crumbs yeah. right now, honey. Yes. Come to the feast. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think that, and I think, like, reading the Bible through this, like, more, like, through all these differing lenses than, like, what I was given growing up, at least, like, basically, the word of God was the word of God. It's the NIV. And that's God Speaks English. At least you got the NIV, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the King James. That's <laughs> oh my god! Thank God I had the NIV. Like I honestly like, I I also like, but we also grew up in like in a world where Catholics weren't Christians, so you know. Oh yeah. So it was one of those things. Also, like I remember specifically like my uncle, who is a pastor to this day, um, and he doesn't listen to anything I put out. So this is why I feel okay saying this on the air. But one time he preached a sermon that Harry Potter was causing children to run away to Mexico to wizard school and like magic school. Um, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> I know. And I'm just like, I didn't know there was a magic school in Mexico. If so, oh, where do I, I go? I am all... I'm wearing Gryffindor socks right now. Oh my God. <laughs> we would have been great friends at Hogwarts. Although apparently I am a Slytherin. So, you know. Oh man. You know, like you know, I think that I think we could have like had friendship across um boundaries. It would have been okay. Yeah. I have and I'm a redhead, you know, like uh like the Weasleys, so I would have fit right in with them too. And I'm a ginger beard, so it's just like I'll probably be a little out of place in Slytherin. <laughs> but, you know, we make it work. Um well let me uh, let me do like a uh another question that just came to mind. Yeah. Um when you are, I don't know if you've already had experience with this, but just like if somebody in your, in hypothetically or not hypothetically, cause it's going to happen when somebody comes forward in your congregation with allegations of sexual assault against uh, another member, against like a lay person or a clergy person, like what, like, what is like a, what does the proper response even look like? Because I feel like 
there's it's like you said like there's going to be the impetus to like not believe them at first but just like how do we protect the victims um and like what what does the process even look like i don't even know where to begin well in the united methodist church we have um it's called safe sanctuaries so we actually have a laid out um process for it um and not and that has never happened to me um where it's been a member of the congregation i've had i've had victims come in um mm-hmm. But it's never been that. Um, so I think the first thing to do is to protect them first and foremost, mm-hmm. to say, I hear you. Um, the fact that they've come forward is huge. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so much of this goes on, like so many people don't say anything. Um, and there's a lot of reason for that, right? Like when, I mean, I've heard accounts of people that have gone to trial and they said the trial was worse than the assault. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's like a group of lawyers going after their entire morality and all those kinds of stuff. Um, But I think you have to, I think just telling someone they've been heard, giving them agency to decide what they think their next steps are, like not forcing them to go to the doctor, not forcing them to go to the police. Cause these are, so somebody just took all of their choices away. Mm-hmm. And so you as a clergy cannot do that. Right. It feels really natural to say, I want you to get justice cause you deserve justice and we believe in justice cause we're the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all well and good, but and as you know, as a survivor yourself, someone just took your choice away. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing is giving them back their choice. Yeah. I think where you, how you stand or like engage with them is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, not, don't get behind a desk. Right. If you can't get, get out from behind it, you know, like don't stand in a position of power. Yeah. Go sit with them. Yes. Or next to them or, you know, um, let them lead, I think is really important. But but just, I think calmly listening and writing everything down, taking time to reflect and time to think. Um, not ever saying, well, are you sure? Oh, yeah. Like, just, if they say it happened... And maybe maybe you question it, and that's fine. But do it inside your head, yeah. <laughs> like um, at first. I mean, you you listen. But like, I keep going back to. I don't. I'm I'm just so confused by we why we can believe in holy communion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as a as a means of grace, and that there's real presence of God in these ordinary things. But when someone says that person who you may think is wonderful, touched me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to believe you. Yeah. It's weird. It's messed up. And I think we're getting to a point and like, I'm hoping like that as we're just continuing on the trajectory that we're going on that, you know, I think maybe in some ways like things will get worse before they get better. But I, that isn't that the reality of life though. <laughs> there, right. Death always precedes resurrection, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's what I see. I ha- like see a lot of things like happening, like within like the big C church of just like there are ways of doing church that are not gonna survive the next ten years. Um, oh yeah, lots of them. <laughs> yeah, they really probably aren't surviving now. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wonder, like I wonder what it's gonna 
be like it's probably going to be like dreadfully ordinary (laughs) um and probably like a lot smaller than we think it's going to be or it could you know you know i don't don't know i'm just i think accountability really matters yeah say more i think it's so easy unfortunately for us to get lost in our sin Mm -hmm. as individuals too like i think we forget like i went to like a sleep doctor the other day and um he asked he found out what i did and he was like do you smoke or drink or do drugs and i was he goes oh wait you're a pastor you wouldn't do those things um hmm. i said you know like alcohol actually is a really big problem among ministers because there's so much stress and he was like what like and i guess like he's like i guess everybody has their sin and i was like that is a super judgmental like do people really think that um but i think there is there for so long was this conception that we were above Mm. making mistakes and maybe we even started to believe that yeah you stopped being people and you just like you were just pastors the whole time Um, I have so many clergy friends who tell me that they're not themselves they are pastor or reverend whoever like to like for them like their entire uh, platform their entire uh, way of moving through the world the way that their friends see them even or they're the parishioners see them, they don't see them as a fully actualized human but rather as like this almost superhuman figure like heaven forbid they ever have like a bad day or a struggle or doubt um with any of the things it's almost like this like, superhuman yeah, and i think that's really isolating yes for sure but when we isolate ourselves I mean, that's when we start to do really crappy, horrible things. Mm -hmm. Like no one's holding you accountable and no one's keeping you um, with God. Mm -hmm. You know all about God, but you may not know God anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like going back to David, David started off slaying Goliath and like being, you know, like, like fighting for his life. Mm hmm. Trusting God and not murdering Saul when he has the chance, right? Um, and then you fast forward to this downfall. I mean, he didn't just, he didn't wind up there one day yeah. just out of the blue. It was a slow journey towards. Yes, there's a trajectory. And I think that when we stop allowing people into our life, I think the relationships really matter. So, yeah, I would agree that sometimes I feel like I'm always Pastor Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some good and bad in that. And um, I think sometimes it helps me. Yeah. And I think that's, like, honestly, accountability and, like, accountability and true vulnerability within community is the thing that I think will help push these conversations forward. Because, like... It's like you said, when you are isolated at the top of like a power pyramid, that's when weird things can start happening. If you don't have any peers around you to like check you, to ask you the tough questions or to even like allow you to be vulnerable enough. Um, I know that like when like I look at all these like different pastors who struggle with, uh, you know, all sorts, all manner of addiction, uh, you know, infidelity, um, you know, sexual appetites that are no longer being met. Um, it's because you're not talking about the things that are going on inside because you don't feel like you have the space for it because you think that you have to be Superman or Superwoman. Um, And eventually we crack under that, right? Like, because it's an, it's an unfair expectation on ourself. Um, it's an un, it's an unholy arrogant stance too. Yes. 
Like that, that is not how we can come before the king of creation to be transformed is by assuming that I'm holy and good and therefore you should follow me. (laughs) Um, Like that's that, that vulnerability and that humility. Mm -hmm. If we don't come before, before God with that, like what, what are we offering? Yeah. Come on. That's good. And I'm, Um, and I'm not sure when we isolate ourselves, if we're offering anything to God anymore. You better say that. Cause like, even like I look back at like the old Testament, just like it was all about like the collective ritual, the collective sacrifice yes. together for the people. Is so key to, to Christianity. Um, but we, we don't practice that at all. I mean, it's almost like the opposite. It's, so I'm United Methodist and John Wesley had three questions that they were supposed to ask whenever they got together that hold them in their like accountability group type things. Mm-hmm. And the first one was, how is it with your soul? It's okay. That one's, that one's kind of easy, right? Like you can answer that one. The next one is what sins have you committed since we were last together? Oh shit. That's right. Like, like we're going there. And then the third one is what are you afraid to tell us? Basically. Like, oh those- wow. John Wesley. He's a real, he's a real one. I didn't even know. And if you didn't answer those correctly, you could be like, they would be like, okay, so you backslid and, and you need to work on those before you're, before we can allow you back in this community. Like we're holding you to that. You're not kicked out, but you need, you need to get things right with, with God. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think losing that Hmm. was a real detriment to not only my denomination, but to the Christian faith of that I have to maintain relationships that keep me on my knees. Mm, that keep me accountable and that keep Yes. And I think honestly, like that's the thing that still keeps me in faith in general and like in the church is because on my own, I am ready to do some stupid shit, I think. Right. <laughs> like, we'd be complete monsters to each other on our own. <laughs> I literally, some people, like, people are just like, why do you still do religion? Because just like, you know, why can't you just, like, be a good person outside of morality? I'm just like, if you can do that, if you contain, <laughs> if you can, like, hold on to morality and be a good person with your by yourself, I say more power to you. You're saving time, money, energy, you know, probably like you put your skin's probably better. (laughs) But for someone like me who will readily admit that I just don't know what the shit I'm doing half the time, like I will fully admit that I need God and I need other people to to show me, to hold up a mirror so that I can see a, the parts of me that I need to address. And then also at the same time, hold up a mirror so that I'm not always drowning in my own self doubt and self deprecation. You know, I needed a community to tell me that I'm loved. Yeah, that I'm good enough. That was my conversation with Chrissy Reeves Pendergrass. Um, You can connect with her across social media with at Chrissy Reeves Pendergrass, which is just the one word. And you can also get with her on her website, which is Chrissy Reeves-Pendergrass.com. And yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes. Chrissy, thank you so much for being with me on A Tiny Revolution. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story. Also, book her. Book her to come to your church to talk about stuff. Book her um, to talk about sexual assault in the church, about church too, all that good stuff. She's incredible. 
And yeah, that's all I have to say about that. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 127 amazing people on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's an amazing platform that allows you, the listener, to get involved with the creative process and support the creatives in your lives who are creating content that actually matters. So if you love this podcast, if you think this conversation was important and you want to make more content like it possible, become a supporting partner. It's as simple as that. Even as little as $1 or $2 or $5 or $15 if you flex them like that. Any amount helps make this more sustainable, especially now that I'm starting graduate school. Um, It really, really helps to have the support of people like you to make this work possible. So that way I'm not having to hold down 18 different jobs. So thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting me throughout my creative processes these past three years. And thank you for anyone who's signing on today. So just go over to patreon.com slash thekevingarcia and sign up. Get, take advantage of some sweet perks. There's a Slack channel. There's t-shirts going out soon. Literally, what more could you want? Um, plus, I know that you got a dollar or two. Listen, if you're the kind of person who listens to a podcast, you're probably also the kind of person who buys their coffee or tacos. Think about if you can afford tacos, you can afford to throw me five bucks a month, honey. So, that's it. That's I'm, I'm going to stop preaching at you and whatnot. But anyways, um, other things. If you can support the podcast by just leaving a review on iTunes, that would be a huge help. You do that right in your podcast app. Just leave it five stars, tell people why you love it, and then share it on social media. Because honestly, that's how we get people connected with this show. And that's how we get more people listening to better stories about their lives, honey. That's about all I've got to say. Go get your tickets for Reformation Project before the tickets prices go up on Friday. I don't think I mentioned that before. Ticket prices are going up on Friday. It's like $175. You don't want to pay that. You want to pay a lower price. Go there now. ReformationProject.org slash Orlando. I'll see you there. I think that's everything from me. Um, so yeah, go drink some water. Go see your therapist. Move your body. Eat something delicious. And shout out to my friend Anna. She's at Owl Post Lettering on Instagram. Made this really cool little uh, little graphic design of the shit I say at the end of the podcast, which is just, it was so amazing for me to see. So go follow her on Instagram and yeah, do all those things. Drink some water, go see your therapist, move your body, eat something delicious. Um, listen to the new Choice of On album if you haven't already. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's a good shake it up tune. Um, I'm done talking. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to y'all very, very soon. Bye!